0: Uh, when we hear that phrase, that's one of those pet Christian phrases that we use sometimes, and it has a certain meaning to us. It's kind of like a, um, a coin phrase or a catch-all phrase, and it, it conjures up a certain um, image in the minds of believers when that that word is is spoken. For most of us, we think about the upper room in the Pentecostal experience. Amen? Yeah. Well, I don't know what y'all think about that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Somebody talk to me. Y'all to read your Bibles, right? That's what I thought. I'm in the right crowd. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: and so I, I think, though, God had a meaning for that upper room, you know, for the uh, things that happened we see throughout the Bible in upper rooms and so we're going to talk about what god has in mind with that and what he wants us to to remember in our minds and hearts about what upper room experiences are why was the upper room designated uh, for as a gathering place for certain things throughout the bible and and what's the historical meaning of some some of these things so you can get a better understanding of why god uh, keeps those things uh in our minds and keeps repeating them throughout the word of god keeps those things keep showing up over and over again in the word of god and so we'll we'll talk about that upper room that really was a large, spacious room that was built by wealthy people who could afford a second floor on there, so it was a prominent place it kind of stood out from the beginning. Is not your ordinary house. Those who were wealthy enough could afford a second floor. And uh, many people had a rooftop, you know, the first floor. And then they left the rooftop flat and open so that they could congregate there or, uh, you know, kind of keep an extra bed out there. But if you were able to enclose it, that meant that you had certain wealth and certain status. The temples were built with, with... upper rooms because they had to have places for the ministers and the servants of god to congregate and so they got to be known as places where you could congregate for certain special events or certain special things the upper rooms the second floor was was off limits uh, to the activities of the first floor. On the first floor is where you you had everybody coming in there. You know, you had your hospitality went on on the ground floor. You had a courtyard that people could come in and then gain entry to your property, that kind of thing. And so that was it. Was the common the common people were on the f- ground floor. So it was your common meeting space that was was used for any and everybody, whatever purpose. Uh, the owner of the house wanted they would congregate on that ground floor to get to the upper room though it you had to go for a special reason see what i'm saying so like if if you have a two-story home now generally your bedrooms are on the upper floor so you have to be there the special purpose for that space so it was a set apart space it was a uh, secluded space it was a sanctuary space that was reserved for certain purposes that only the master of the house could designate when you saw jesus as he said ask the good man of the house to let us meet in the upper room so it was up to the master's discretion how that room was used It was never taken for granted that anybody and everybody had access to it. So it's always set aside as a special place, a meeting place. Upper room, we have upper rooms because we need the extra space. There's an extra purpose for it. There's a purpose there that uh, uh, only the master of the house could designate. In Jeremiah 22, verses 13 and 14, he mentions wealthy people making upper rooms. There's a scripture also where David says, God has put me in a large room, which means that he has elevated me in in status and in finances to the point where I can afford a second floor so I can put a large room. So they were speaking of the upper room. In the house of a person of wealth and so when you had an upper room you were a person who had a certain status you were a person who had a certain uh, prominence you were a person who had a specific uh, certain kinds of business dealings that you uh, could carry on there uh, you were a set-apart particular person uh, if you had an upper room in your in your under your control and your authority the upper rooms were used in some occasions because they were spacious enough to hold a certain large number of people for a certain purpose. So there were purposeful additions to a home. Many of them were chosen because you had to have privacy for the things that you were doing. Certain business people would, would have their uh, their business meetings in the upper room where they discussed important decisions, policy-making is done, uh, deals are made, covenants are cut, uh, when you can get apart from the, the regular ones and get into the upper room. I said before it's a secluded place from the lower house. Uh, lower is, is the lower level of a home had ease of access for everybody. Everybody could enter in on the lower level, but only certain people were invited to the upper room. So it was a set apart place uh, that you had to have, and it took a certain level of of ability to access it because not many of them had staircases. You often had to access it by a ladder, that kind of stuff. And so you to go through all that trouble, you didn't want to get up there and be told you weren't supposed to be there. You understand what I'm saying? So it was it was respected by people. On the lower level of house is very busy. There's cooking, feeding. Uh, In all kinds of activities, it cannot be controlled, but in the upper room, it was a controlled atmosphere. So because it was secluded, because you had to be invited, because of all these barriers to just general access, uh, you had to be there for a specific reason and a specific purpose. So upper rooms were always thought of as being exclusive places. There were places where you had to be invited to be there. You just couldn't access them. And so it was, was for that reason that God selected upper rooms for certain activities that he points us to throughout the Bible. Those invited to the upper room were a selected group of people. In, in the dealings uh, of, of the things of God's kingdom, they are selected for a specific purpose not just to be there but for a purpose. Oftentimes rulers had their private quarters in the upper rooms. Um in Judges chapter let me see which where was that? I think it's Judges chapter three. <clears throat> I don't think I wrote it down to read it, uh but there was a, a man that had his private quarters up there uh in the upper room. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Now that I'm mentioning it. I thought to myself when I was looking at it, I said, Ah, eh, that doesn't fit so well but what I was gonna say. But uh you know when you start running your mouth you ain't sure where God'll take you, so we'll um, go there. Judges chapter three. I think it was Elihud uh was the the man and he was yeah, Ehud, Uh in Judges three and twelve. And in that that realm uh, of the story, it talks about how he was murdered in the upper room. And because nobody was allowed to be there with him, when his servants came to check on him later, they they thought it was he'd been up there a long time. When they came to check on him. Uh, they thought he was maybe in the bathroom or something like that and needed privacy, and they went away for a while, and then when it got to be so long, they went in and found that he had been murdered. And so the upper room was so secluded, if somebody broke in, uh, they would they would have a long time to do what they wanted to do. Uh, because of the set apart purpose of the upper room, so the sanctity of the upper room was always respected by everybody to the point that they didn't just barge in uninvited, so they were it would have been great if they had gotten there earlier, but they weren't able to do that and weren't able to help help him or help serve, save his life and Second kings, you see a couple of stories about upper rooms that were prepared for certain people, and second kings. I think. where do I want to go I think it's 2nd Kings 4 2nd Kings chapter 4 uh, you see the story here of the which one do I want to go to first in verse 8, <clears throat> this is a Shunammite woman. It says, it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman or a wealthy woman. She constrained him to eat bread. And so every day, every time she saw him pass by, she noticed that he was a holy man of God. Now, when God wants to point you out to somebody, you don't have to give them your calling card. You don't have to pass out who you are or you know get a quick prophecy for them to let them know that you're somebody but you understand what i'm saying god has his way of pointing people out to pointing you out to people for his purposes and i think if we can allow god to do that you know trust me it's it's not pleasant being what we call small all the time you know what i'm saying small in numbers or small uh, according to what what man might judge as valuable. Sometimes <clears throat> being secluded and sometimes being unseen and quiet can make you really, really big in somebody's eyes. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's like women, young women, when you choose uh, your clothing, you choose how you want to dress, Sometimes the Bible says, not sometimes, all the time, it says dress modestly yes. so that you're not noticed. Yes. You understand what yes. I'm saying? That, that it's the, the chaste conversation and your, your demeanor that will convince somebody that you're of value. Yes. So this is what God wants to do. Come, somebody needs to be convinced that you are of value if you want to be treated valuably sometimes you can convince yourself you're of value by changing how you appear to yourself well i know that i knew that wasn't gonna get a lot of you know what i'm saying sometimes if you just tone it down in your words your dress your you know i always say people will will notice you one way or the other uh, because god will bring that out you know it's like if i go into a room and uh, I can always spot prophets, you know, just by the way, the way that they select. They're like the manic depressives of the body of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? You're, you're, something about you is going to talk and announce you before you even open your mouth. You know, the hair is real black or it's got a streak or it's, and it's not a goofy streak. It's like they look like a normal person except that they got it's going on you know what i'm saying and so it, it's it's you you god has his way of you identifying yourself and i'll have to go and prophesy to 15 people Amen. to to let them know who i am god can show them who i am when it's when it's time for them to know and so this man of god was just walking back and forth walking back and forth and she says "A holy man of god how does she know that you know he wasn't walking up passing out business cards he wasn't, you know, getting dead people up and dragging them around with him, shaking them in front of people, making them wake up. You understand what I'm saying? He was, yeah. he was him. And that's the best way to be because then when God identifies you to people, it's a good connection. It's the right connection. You won't have to go back and straighten that out because yeah. they got the wrong idea about you yeah. because you got ahead of God in something. Yeah. And so yeah, you know what I'm saying. You used It's less damage control on your part when you just do what the Bible says to do and be you in God, know your role, know your function, stay in there, and then let God reveal you in due season. You got me? You won't be overwhelmed with people's attention. You won't be overbooked and try to figure out how you're going to get to this place and and are they going to give me enough money and get to that place and they're going to give me an offering and all that. And then, you know, a lot of people are busy all the time, but they have no money to show for all they're running around everywhere. So I'd rather just do what God tells me to do and live an easier life and be able to live rather than just go everywhere and do everything to try and make it myself, you know, try to look big and look busy like everybody is supposed to look to make them worth something. And so if I'm never revealed to anybody except those that God's called me to, I've done my job. You understand what I'm saying? I've done my job. So she sees him walking back and forth all the time. And then she stopped him one time and offered him to come in for dinner. And then she just, now this, is, this woman is a heathen. She doesn't, she's not an Israelite. She doesn't know anything about God's people, but she respects that he serves God. See, whether they're saved or unsaved you want them to respect that you serve god yeah. you see because that's when god can do something through you and your efforts will pay off and so there she is and she tells her husband he said you know what why don't we make him a room because he comes by here so often what we need to do is build him a place where he can rest when he comes through and what do they do they put him elevate him not in the common areas of this is a holy man we got to put him where he can do his holy thing and we don't have to see it we don't want him down here and all the neighbors disturbing him you know wanting him to do this and that for them we're going to put him somewhere where he can be secluded unto god and it can be a rest for him You understand what I'm saying? These things are very, very important for us to understand about people who serve God. They need to be in a place where they can hear God, be secluded from everything, and rest. Because if you serve God, you're on call 24-7 for whatever God wants to tell you. Many times it's preparation things, communing with God, studying, praying, reading, you know, doing that kind of stuff, keeping your spirit man built up. And you can't do it in a lot of confusion and a lot of of controversy and so she decides to bring to provide a place worthy of of what what this man needs and so she he uh she says in verse 10 let us make a little chamber i pray you on the wall and give us a table and all some furniture to go in there so whenever he comes to us in other words, she wants this godly man in her life, and she'll take it on God's terms. You see what I'm saying? It's very important when you have people that God sends to your life, you keep it on God's terms. Amen. You don't defile the relationship, and you don't try to control them. See, a lot of people would like to get ministers under their control so that they can uh, you know offer them money and lay hands on them in public so make them look like they're christians too yeah. you know it'll shock you the things that people do if you don't leave it on a holy level and don't leave it on the level of god it will defile you and pull you down and so she was careful not to want to do that and he says in in the there came a day though when he came in there and he wanted to talk to her you notice she wasn't rushing up in his face all the time Uh, i got some business give me a word and see what see what your god says and i'll see what my god says you know that kind of stuff he called her to him it was not the other way around so it was the upper room provided him the ability to call the shots the way god would have him do even in somebody else's property you got me and then we carry that with us. We carry the the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to change the outcome in situations and not be a victim to what somebody else dictates are in our lives. So that upper room designation in our lives is something that really we carry that on the inside of us. We are the sanctuary of God and the Holy Spirit and so we are people of purpose, and we're people who can, can understand this type of relationship with God through secluding yourself from, from normal activities and coming apart with him. And so really, he asks her, what, what is it that can be done for her? He asked Gehazi, his servant, and he says that she doesn't have any children. Her husband is old. So this means that he's, she's almost out of time, but he's there right on time you got me god will always send a word to you right on time you'll think you're out of time for something but actually you're right on time as far as god's schedule is concerned for you and he said call her and when he had called her she stood in the door and he told her about this season according to the time of life you shall embrace the son no don't lie to me man of god first she rebukes him now this is normal unbelief that that uh, comes from people sometimes now you got to understand God and unbelief he's not a stickler for if you don't believe him he'll walk away and leave all your marbles on the table he wants you to have your marbles God has a way to deal with unbelief to get it out of the way and suspend it so you can get what he says he's going to give you you got me don't ever get Caught up in this nonsense faith stuff if you don't have it you don't get it if you don't see anything from the ministry of jesus you see how he dealt with people it says he couldn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief so what did he do he teached and he preached and he taught them how to believe god he is the author and the finisher of your faith still is no such thing as you don't have enough faith and that's the end of the story or you got to go on your own and go buy some and find some somewhere he's the author of your faith he will provide that and you see that that woman god did uh, uh provided that son for her in spite of her protesting no don't lie to me now if he's a holy man of god she already said that out of her mouth he's a holy man of god now all of a sudden he's a liar Now, how I many? Listen, I've been there. You understand what I'm saying? I there's so many times where I could tell God, I want this, this, and this, and then it's, He starts telling, Well, I want you to, oh. Huh? The closer it gets to you, the more unbelief. Well, see, that was there all the time. See, His Word comes to reveal truth. What's the truth that's in you? You don't really believe, but that doesn't mean you can't. Huh? and that doesn't mean you can't get the promise and so what god does is she falls into a particular category that we call the prophet's reward anybody who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the prophet's reward so that is due her or he would not have come to her he's not there to tease her with something you know if you give me a certain amount of money or you do this for me and all this he just tells her he says you know you've been good to us you've been careful what can we do for you all i'm doing is the natural thing if somebody blesses you want to bless them back huh that's a common thing to do and so she says "Uh, you know don't lie and she conceived and bore a son that season and he said to her according to the time of life when the child was grown though something else happened that baby Fall sick, and he actually dies. And she remembers her conversation. This is a holy man of God. I told me him not to lie to me. He didn't lie to me. I'm gonna take this boy back. But on the way, instead of taking him back in a complaint, where does she put that baby? In the upper room. Amen. That's where. That's where that promise was conceived and that's where it's going to be brought back to life it has to be you see what i'm saying so when god prepares a place for you to get the word from him and understand his word if anything goes wrong with that word you come right back to that place where you received it and get it straightened out that's why it's good to come to church when you're supposed to you know often and on time you understand what i'm saying because the things that you receive under this anointing and you and they're conceived in your heart if there's any hold up and delay in them it will be straightened out in the place where it was conceived i understand why people go running to, you know as well uh, i heard uh so-and-so is in town and i went to their meeting huh and you're their pastor and some people don't have better sense than to say stuff like that to you you understand what I'm saying? And you had no no inkling they were in need. Yeah. Now let me tell you something. What God does with faithful people, he'll protect them. Yeah, yeah. If you're faithful, God will protect you. You don't even sometimes, some of you don't even have to tell me what's going on with you. I know already. Yeah, right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because God has informed me because that's my responsibility to take care of you as far as what he's promised you. Yeah. Amen from him and so that's my obligation so many times i will know these things or understand and i'll if i need more information i'll call you if not i'll pray for you but it's not surprising to me when you come up to the altar and you say i need so and so and such and such Mm -hmm. and we'll pray for that and get it done Mm -hmm. woe to the person who hides from their pastor or from the person responsible for them spiritually when they're in trouble because you don't know if God's going to honor that person. You don't have a relationship with them. You haven't been assigned to them. And what's wrong with going where you're assigned? You understand what I'm saying? What's the problem that you can't go where you're assigned? And see, some people have that that little um, uh, adultery spirit on them. They just go here, there, and everywhere. Why? They don't want to be committed in their hearts. You can be there physically, but if you're not committed to your heart and you don't know how to love and trust and put yourself under somebody's authority and let God use them to help you, you're going to have a hard time getting good kingdom results. You understand what I'm saying? You have a hard time with that. It's the same thing in a marriage. You know, if you can't trust God to go work through your husband to bless your life, what are you doing married for? You're going to have a hard time. You're checking up on him. You're checking up on God. checking up on everybody. You don't trust nobody. And so if you're going to get the blessings of love covenant, you're going to have to obey the rules of love covenant and stay where you're appointed and where God has appointed people to help you. Huh? What's wrong with you anyway? Nobody wants to help your life. huh? Why are you so bad? Nobody wants to help you. You understand what I'm saying? We gotta get over on some of these little silly things that we're holding on to, because here's a woman. She's not even an Israelite. She got a miracle and getting ready to get another one. She getting experiences that God's people don't get, huh? Because they don't stay in right relationships. So relationships extremely important. If you're gonna get the benefit of upper room experiences, you gotta have upper room <laughs> commitment. You understand what I'm saying? And we'll see a little bit more uh, more about that later so she takes her son lays him up on that bed where the man of god sleeps she wants to get him as close to the man of god as possible Uh now many times people you know this is a something that is respected by god the anointing follows the servant of god Uh huh it just does Uh some of you know that's why i give away my clothes i tried selling them y'all won't buy them Now, I figured I'd try it to go along with the program, but I know better. Yeah. I knew they weren't gonna sell 'cause Tish put them two she put two dollars <laughs> I gave her brand new shoes, and she put a two dollar price tag
1: <laughs>
0: well, 'cause the anointing's not for sale, huh <laughs> y'all so glad. <laughs> sheree up here like <laughs> like a seal <laughs> throw me another fish <clears throat> uh, Man. but you know i mean i i do these things i try to but I, in my heart i know it's probably not gonna fly you understand what i'm saying because god would rather me do it that way you know give them away what can i tell you So anyway, and and y'all can wear them, and you be comfortable in them, and, you know, you stay healed in them, and you know what I'm saying? Right. The life of God, if you believe for it, the life of God is still active on those things. So praise God. Amen. So anyway, she puts the baby, she puts her son on the, the, the bed, and the man of God isn't even there. But that that anointing, the presence in the upper room, the fact that it's been used only for specific purposes. Now, you don't invite a man of God to stay in your house or a woman of God to stay and They party all the time. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You know, they be cranking it up loud. And, you know, the whole house is vibrating. And boom. Got me? Don't invest in that. Somebody who carries the presence of God. And she'd observed him long enough to know that he was somebody who was dedicated to the Lord. And so when, when uh, Elijah sees her, he tells her, he, uh, Elisha sees her, he tells her to run and meet this woman and ask her if it's okay. Is it well with you? her? Verse 26. Why does he want to know that? Huh? Is it well with you? Is it well with the child? Why does he ask that? Because he knows already. amen yeah. see when people don't aren't adjusted right on the inside you know uh, people were sensitive to the holy spirit can tell prophets can tell in a minute he could tell when she kept saying don't lie to me he said now she, if she don't get this straightened out she gonna have some trouble down the road so down the road is here Huh? this is her down the road day just because she has trouble doesn't mean it's fatal trouble And I think this is something that we as believers need to keep in mind. Just because something goes awry with something that God has promised you and blessed you with, it's not the end of the story. But you do need to get it straightened out between you and God what's wrong. See, this is, and this is where people do run into problems. Many times they don't want to get what's wrong straightened out you know there's something wrong with this lady's believing she's been a doubter all her life she, this boy has been there just on the edge you know what i'm saying you'll see this in another story about this other widow uh, where their children are co- compromised because of their lack of commitment to the lord and so she says uh verse 26 he tells Gehazi, i run to meet her ask her if it's well with everybody is it well with the child well with your husband when she came the man of God to the hill she caught him by the feet but Gehazi came up to push her away and he said let her alone her soul is is vexed and the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me exactly what it is you see what I'm saying so he knew that something one day would go wrong in her life because of the way she lived her life she's a heathen this is the other thing too she knows he's a holy man of God. She's made him a room to stay there. She's done all the right things, but something in her heart is not adjusted right. You got me? There's people like that. They love certain, oh, I love Benny Hinn's ministry. Are you say? No, but you know, I just go to all his meetings all the time. It's common, you know. They dance all around it, but they won't plunge. They won't jump in. And so she she said to him, this is is the, the confession, verse 28, didn't I desire a son from you and didn't I tell you don't deceive me? So she's been carrying, even though on the outer she's honoring him, she's respecting him on the inside, she's not convinced that he's really what she is saying. Sometimes you just need to stop it and get convinced you understand what i'm saying if you're playing around and saying well you know so and so they ain't you know, really they ain't gonna do it they ain't gonna help me it ain't gonna do me or you know people who like to compare themselves with others you know uh, uh pastor Barb, she likes becky better and she likes me because you know well becky cooks yeah see y'all don't want to you see what i'm saying see when you get down to the nitty-gritty what is this like somebody better than they like me where this childishness come from aren't you blood-bought don't you belong to god don't you serve god am i god no okay so if you you're right with god let's get this straight but yeah i like her because she can cook huh you show me something you can do i like you too You see what I'm saying? When you start cutting this stuff out of people, Amen. everybody gets quiet and gets kind of stupid acting. Why? Because we all sit up and compare ourselves with other people. And your leader's only one person. We can't be stretched out and be palling up with everybody <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> But you ask Becky and she's come close to getting strangled a couple times because we cooked together. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you want that life, huh? we can get that life for you. <laughs> it ain't easy being cheesy with the preacher. huh? It ain't easy at all. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so we laugh about it too. You know, some of y'all can't laugh about it. Huh? <laughs> but like has nothing to do with it. I'm here to do a job for God, you know. But see, some of you still don't believe that, I can tell. Because you think preachers have favorites and, you know, because that's your life. That's where you live. Somebody likes me better and that's why they get, and I'll never, how, why are you never going to get someone? How come somebody can't like you better sometimes? See, if we find out what to do to get the like better on our side, Then we'd be a, you know, well, that would give you something real to do. And most people, they just like complaining. They don't want anything real to do. (laughs) They really don't. (laughs) They really don't. So here she was. She's accusing him of deceiving her. You got me? Because she's in a place now where her unbelief has caught up with her. And see, instead of owning her unbelief, she decides to push it off on him. See, it's his responsibility to, to believe for her, to keep her boy alive. You got me? And so he's about to get that straightened out for her. So, and this is what God will do when your faith is goofy like that. He will come in a place and a time and get that straightened out for you. And it says <clears throat> it says here, um, let me see. Where we were in 4 verse. Okay. 28. She said, didn't I say don't deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins. Take my staff. So he tries because he can't get there right away. He tries to work that thing through his servant. Okay. Gehazi doesn't have it. So he has to wait. That boy has to wait until he gets there. But it doesn't matter how long it takes. If God has promised you something, he makes good on that promise. You got me? He makes good on that promise. Many times we'll have to try different things to see if they work in God, but he will make good on that promise. Gehazi passed on before them, put the staff on the face of the child. There was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon the bed. He went in and shut the door upon them. Here's we got the seclusion in the upper room again. He knows the prophet knows that he is the only one who can bring this kid back to life. So he closes the door in on them so it's nobody but them and him. Some things can only be worked out between just you and God. When Elijah told the widow woman, remember her with the cruse of oil and she was pouring the oil, he said, take your sons in there and shut the door behind you. Don't let anybody come in. The anointing sometimes is so delicate it can be disturbed by people who come in with a different kind of agenda. You got me? So you have to keep the anointing shut in. you got to keep the conditions right for your miracle until that thing is poured out and your miracle comes. And so he says here, um she he tells her and then he uh goes and he he i think he lays on the child and then he sneezes and gets up and so he brings the child back to her uh alive and she's able to receive her son again and so in in uh let me see yeah verse 35 he returned walked in the house to and fro went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes and he said, told Gehazi to call the woman. He said he called her. When she was come in, he said, take your son. She went in and fell at his feet. Huh? Yeah. Humbled herself. Yeah. See? Before, she was the owner of the house that had the room, and he came and stayed for free. Even though she knew he was a holy man, she was she was still on the edge, and she should have been all in on this thing already. there's a time where god gives you a specific amount of time to get certain things settled in your heart regarding his servants you understand what i'm saying so you know that they're either for you or they're not for you you understand what i'm saying and you understand that god is either for you or not for you he doesn't give you forever to be wishy-washy about whether or not you can trust his servants and so she decides that she's going to humble herself bow herself down and i'm sure from that day forward her son lived and prospered and was well why because she finally trusted that god was working through this man of god and she could let all of her reservations go and so the upper room can be the start of a miracle for you but it's also the place where you go back to when you need another miracle it'll continue to work for you it'll continue to be a blessing to you It'll continue to honor you in your life if you understand the miracle power that's released in the upper room. So we see the upper room is a place, a holy place that's secluded. It's a place of wealth because these wealthy people own them. And so God will sometimes choose the best for his servants because he feels his servants are worthy of that. See, it's one thing if God chooses this for you, it's another thing if you try to make it happen for yourself. Amen. And what we have loose in the world now is many servants of God that God has not chosen the best of the best for them. But instead, he has, has chosen some things for us to test us at the level of our faith to see if he can trust us with more. So Elisha, he knew he could trust him. That's why he gave him the best right off the bat. But some people are trying too hard to get it for themselves, and it doesn't work for them. So here, this is a wealthy woman of Shunem. She is the one who he brought her son back to life. Uh, then there was the other uh, widow with the, uh, that was going to prepare the meal for him so that they could eat it and then die. And he brought her son back to life, too. So there you have two witnesses and two accounts that the upper room is not just a place of conception and birthing of miracles, but it's also a place where those miracles can be resurrected again. And so you have resurrection of miracles in the place of the upper room. And so um, uh, both these women took their sons to the prophet's upper room and received miracles and resurrection. The prophet's quarters were places of prayer seclusion and miracles the power of god dwell there there's in in, this is what it is the essence of this whole thing is god wants a dwelling place for his power amen he wants a dwelling place for his power if you turn to let me see i think i want to go to mark chapter 14 and you'll see the upper room in a different light Mark chapter 14 and verse 12 says on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover his disciples said to him where will you where do you want us to go so that we can prepare and eat the Passover and he sent forth two of his disciples and said to them go to the city and there you shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water and follow him and wherever he'll go. Say you to the good man of the house, the master said, where's the guest chamber where we shall eat the Passover with my disciples? So here the upper room looks like it might even be a room for hire higher man. So this man has a property. I don't know that it's an inn or a hotel or something like that. But he probably has a large property and he kind of rents it out, you know, like people do somebody told me that um uh for the republican convention i think tippy told me she said her people renting their houses out for huge sums of money i was thinking you know we can get our little bus together and start do a shuttle you know what i'm saying like a thousand dollars a day and we'll take you anywhere you want to go you know what i'm saying capitalize but this is what this was about in jerusalem people came from all over during the passover season And so it was customary to rent or have a hired room where you could have your Passover meal. And so Jesus says, tell the good man of the house, in other words, the master of the house, tell the master of the house that the master of the world has need of this room. Amen. So then God can override the authority of us when we have uh, 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 possessions. You know, whatever you have can be committed to God for his use. And so in this situation, you see them needing an upper room so that they can eat the Passover. And he says, and he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. And his disciples went, came to the city and found just like Jesus said, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening, he came with the twelve. And as they did sit, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you who's eating shall betray me. And this is you know something that Jesus had to deal with 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 Judas, you know, he was going to cut a covenant with somebody who was not a friend but an enemy. And sometimes you you know there were meetings like that where people would gather together and and there was always somebody there with a different agenda. You know, people are people. There some people are there as opportunists and some people are there to to really partake of the fellowship and so forth. I know when we would have the minister's, you know, we had the minister's reception and stuff like that. And, you know, I know some people connected with each other. uh, And one pastor that was there asked one of the guest ministers who was there to minister for us to minister for them. And they said, I hope that was okay, you see. And I said, yeah, it's fine. That's why I have you all sit together. So you can get to see. My purpose is to get to know. But there are places where they will go where that's frowned upon. it's like i'm stealing your speaker trying to outdo your meeting or something like that and so this idea of betrayal is something that's that is always present in some of these situations now when we get to the book of acts you're going to see how that changes the upper room policy totally you see in jesus time it was a situation where everybody was on one accord But there was one betrayer in the crowd okay so you'll see on the next upper room that's taken care of and so he says uh he says that's where we're going to have our covenant meal he in verse 22 he says and as they did eat jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them take eat this is my body so covenants are cut and decisions are made in upper rooms amen so you see here a situation of a new covenant coming a new covenant being cut, a decision is made by all of them to either respect the new covenant that they're in with Jesus, or they're going to continue with their same attitude of betrayal. And of course, we know that Jesus gave the best portion to Judas, Amen, to eat. They said, "Whoever I," that when they say, "Whoever I dipped the sop with," that was the best portion of the meat that was available you know like if you're having a a, uh a steak it's the tenderloin and so jesus took that with his own hands and fed it to him by mouth and so that elevates that person from being just somebody tagging along to an honored guest and he put judas in first place in that assembly you see by doing that and he still betrayed him so judas couldn't say uh jesus you did that because uh, you just gave me the scraps and leftovers. That's why I betrayed you. You understand what I'm saying? When you give your best and it's still not good enough, you know it's coming from that person's heart that way. You know, understand what I'm saying? So he couldn't accuse Jesus of che- che- uh, che- treating him like a second-class citizen, and that's and give him occasion to betray him. And so Jesus gives him the best of the best and takes away that occasion for betrayal and so jesus and the uh the disciples go ahead and eat the passover jesus tells them he's been wanting to do that for such a long time and so he's been wanting to give his life for for the sins of the world you know from the foundation of the earth and now it's his hour is here so he has to make sure he does everything right It's good to try and make friends rather than enemies. You understand what I'm saying? If you can lay that down and get that person over into friend status, and I believe that's what pricked Judas' conscience after they gave him that money. The fact that he saw that Jesus singled me out as the honored guest at the covenant meal, and here I am betraying him. I've already sworn to him. See, when you had a covenant with somebody, you swore their life against any breaking of that covenant. And so really when Judas committed suicide, he fulfilled the curse on the covenant because he took his own life because he betrayed the life of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So then that gets fulfilled. You see what I'm saying? And so it couldn't have ended any other way but that. But anyway, Jesus then sets up a covenant meal for them where they come into covenant and they come into blessing and they understand that they have a strong bond with him now That's why when Peter talks to Jesus and Jesus says, I'm going to die, Peter said, well, I'll die with you. See, that's covenant language where he knows that that's his responsibility, his obligation. Jesus said, "Nope, you're not. You're going to deny me and you won't even be in this because this is something I have to do by myself. And so uh, uh, so that's uh, the upper room being a place of covenant and a place of decision. Amen? Everybody decides their fate based on what they're doing at that covenant meal. In Acts chapter 1, we see a different aspect of the upper room. We see the upper room going now from a place of decision with Jesus, a place of decision and betrayal, and some accept and some betray, to a place now of high power. And this is what God has been getting to all along with the upper room idea in acts chapter one and verse 13 it says here when they were coming it said they now jesus has ascended into heaven the and he tells them to stay and wait in <clears throat> in jerusalem until they are endued with power from on high and this power comes to uh, two people who are, are obedient to god sold out to god and willing to commit further into relationship with god and so he tells them he says in verse 13 when they were coming in they went up to an upper room where peter james and john andrew philip thomas bartholomew there's 11 disciples there and these all continued with one accord and in prayer so it's one accord and prayer they had one intention and that was to be obedient until they received power from on high and then after that they would be dispersed everywhere but they understood that they were waiting from the promise that jesus had made to them that they would receive the power of the holy spirit and so in in, uh acts 113 all of them are there they are one continued in one accord with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So you see all those traditional laws being broken with this new upper room experience they're about to have. You see, everybody's included now. Before it was the wealthy, it was kings, it was ministers, it was prophets. Now this upper room is open to everybody, everybody who is on one accord and with faith. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together being 120. Men and women, this scripture must have to be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. It says, for he was numbered with us and had obtained a part of this ministry. So if a part has been given out to somebody and that person Is not here any longer. Say, for instance, when I pass away, who's going to take this part of the ministry if it's supposed to go on? You understand what I'm saying? God makes provision for all of these things. Why? Because the ministry is greater than the person that's not there anymore. You see what I'm saying? So the ministry must continue, and somebody has to be a replacement for Judas who is not able to carry his part of the ministry. And so Peter knew that. And so they decided that they would take part of take care of that part of business first. And you'll notice that in verse 25, they they cast lots and it turned out that Matthias was the one that God chose. And so after he was chosen, right after that, in chapter two, you see God pouring out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. Now, suppose they hadn't got together. Suppose they hadn't prayed. Suppose they hadn't understood what the instruction was of God to fulfill every part of that ministry and not anything be left aside. You can see that these men were were locked together in with a covenant that provided for the full expression of what Jesus wanted to have done. They could have easily said, well, Judas, you know, he, he but, you know, if the rest of us are here. They decided to pray and find out what God wanted, and God wanted somebody to replace Judas because he was important. Even though he was a betrayer, his part was important, and his part would have to be carried out by somebody because when God chooses 12, God wants 12. And so when he got his 12, it was then that they got on one accord in one place, and they had what we consider to be the Pentecostal experience the cloven uh, tongues of fire came and rested on every single person there and every single person there received the holy spirit so a one accord in one place now is the standard for the upper room so it's no longer a place of decision and some are going along and some are not they're scattered in their intent but the this one mind one heart concept about the upper room is what god wants to produce. And when he finds a people who have one heart, one mind to serve him and expect the coming of the Lord or expect the Lord to show up and do something greater, expect a miracle, expect the resurrection, expect that that flavor of the upper room, that spirit of the upper room is something that God has sent to the earth and he repeats it over and over and over again uh, throughout the history of the church. You saw where where it came to to that in in Azusa Street when Reverend Seymour came and they all were respectful of God and nobody got up and tried to take over the meeting and nobody tried to prophesy and there were no cameras there. You know, sometimes cameras are a blessing and a curse because they put a different spirit on people to want to be prominent, to want to stand out. You understand what I'm saying? It it can be a, a, a mixed blessing sometimes. But then you see here where every time this type of upper room atmosphere is created, God will show up and pour out his spirit the same way he did there. The result of the upper room is that there's no more big people, little people. It's just all who want to receive, receive the fullness of what God has for them. Nothing's lacking. If you look at the the subsequent chapters in the book of acts they had miracle after miracle after miracle they had salvation after salvation after salvation if you look at the history of the church when they have had these repeat upper room and Pentecostal happenings in the outpouring of the spirit these people don't stop and go to Bible school to figure out how to preach the gospel they're just empowered to go preach you see what I'm saying So this is different, say, than when we pray for people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a different level of outpouring. This is a different type of outpouring. And I believe God wants to repeat that over and over and over again. And I think he wants to repeat it every time believers get together and every time we come together to pray and receive what God has for us. These things can happen over and over and over again because God's demonstrated already in the upper room that there's a different type of experience that he wants to pour out for people. There's a different type of attitude in the congregation. There's a different type of flow of the Spirit of God. There's an expectation and an anticipation of whatever God has for us, and it's going to be powerful and it's going to be good. And see, I think if people can train their minds to anticipate and expect what's coming forth is going to be powerful and it's going to be good and it's going to be life changing, then that's what we'll get from God. Because if you look at some of the ministries that sprang up from Azusa Street. Those people came and they felt they were empowered and they would get on a boat and go over to China and change the course of history in that country. Why? Because they were empowered and they just went forth sharing what God gave them to share. And he showed up with his power and then the the whole country was changed. The whole villages changed at one time. They changed that city of Jerusalem in one day. The people came and, and there was chaos there. You know, the Romans didn't know what to do with that city after a while because the christians were going everywhere and god was showing up in power and demonstrating his power through ordinary believers so it was no longer if you stone the prophets you stop god's message now everybody had the message see you didn't know who it was going to come through now amen So you would have to stone your servant girl if she had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit because she could work miracles. God would work miracles through her just like he would the prophets and the servants. And so we have to understand what God is bringing us into, folks, so that we'll understand the the impact that we will have in the earth when God really, really settles us down and gets to open our eyes so we can expect an experience in God that's totally life-changing. I mean, totally life-changing. That people in these cities didn't even know what was coming next because the Christians were praying again. They're getting together again, and they're praying again, and we don't know what's going to happen. For good or for bad, it's going to change things, and it's going to change it dramatically in one day. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost had fully come. That was the 50th day after Jesus' ascension. I don't think it matters what day. I don't think that was a day God chose. I think it was a day the people chose because they had gotten on one accord in one place. And so God was able to show the people that they could come into agreement. And they sat in that place for 50 days on one accord and finally made the decision to add another apostle. And then God saw everything was completed and God moved. In Acts chapter nine, we see the the resurrection power of the upper room come back to life again, so in the New Testament, all the benefits of the upper room power are the same as when they were in the Old Testament. You see, Dorcas the dressmaker has dropped dead. I don't know why they worked that girl to death like that, but <laughs> yeah. now, everybody's sorry, yeah. huh-. Am I on her book? I know I should have paid her some money. She probably could have got her some more food, you know, or something like that. But anyway, they wash her, and and they're ready to bury her. But then they decide they're going to call Peter. Now, the upper room has a drawing power for the power of God. We said that already. Uh, She's probably just in a normal upper room in, in someone's house or a room that they've hired to lay her body out in but then when peter shows up it's a totally different story he sees them crying and he sees them mourning for her and usually that's the beginning of the funeral let me let me read this one for you and starting in verse 36 there was at joppa a certain disciple named tabitha so she was a believer which by interpretation is called dorcas this woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did so she was a a devout christian woman it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died whom when they had washed her they laid her in an upper chamber and for as much as leda was nigh to joppa and the disciples had heard that peter was there they sent up him unto him two men desiring him that he would come without delay to see them peter arose and went with them When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. All the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, kneeled down and prayed, turning to his body. He said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Jaffa, and many believed in the Lord. And so this is what the enemy tries to stop. This is why he breaks strife out among believers. This is why he keeps contention. And, you know, a big you and a little me. And, you know, traditional churches, he's got a lock on them. Because that's all they do is judge each other all the time. But in spirit filled congregations, you can keep that spirit out of here. You can keep that business you know, God, we don't want that. We're we're holy people, we want you, we want nothing but you, we want your best. We're gonna operate in love and forgiveness and worship you and serve you because we are yet looking for a greater outpouring of your spirit. And it happens when you everybody's on one accord. You know, I, I was talking to somebody and they, they would they they were in a traditional church all their life and they would go to meetings they knew everybody every famous minister that was anointed that ever came to the city of detroit but they were in a kind of church where it was a structure status thing certain people in the church were known to be prominent and then it's the haves and the have-nots you know that kind of thing and and they were good people they loved god but they would have a, a powerful experience every now and then you understand what i'm saying and as long as racism the same thing if you just tolerate nonsense from people and keeping attitudes about one group of people or somebody's high somebody's low somebody doesn't measure up somebody does and in that kind of stuff has to leave the church or we won't get the outpouring of the power or it'll pour out where it can and it'll pour around some people, but it won't pour on everybody. And you want that full power. My gosh, do we need it. You know, and, and, and this, is why, this is why we get blamed by the world of being hateful people. You know, because we don't really demonstrate to the fullness. Of and I don't believe for one minute that the church is as bad as they say it is. They're going to make it worse anyway but i know what god expects out of his people and i know what he expects what he's expecting to bring us into if we can just commit to that so if the upper room is a place of covenant commitment we can commit to walk in love we can commit to lay down our personal agenda for the agenda of god we'll realize that this thing is so much bigger than us as individuals because god has prepared an upper room in our hearts where we can experience the fullness of god's power and a release of his power to the degree that when you go up to a sick person they'll be healed immediately and it just won't be a little pain that leaves them or something like that you'll get people out of wheelchairs you know you'll see all these people that you walk past that that just are are there and and you sometimes you know you walk past them, you say, man i wish i could but there's no unction to do it you know there isn't and so the best we can do is say well lord just heal and bless them whatever you know leave a good word behind but the early church didn't live like that i'm telling you they made an impact they changed people's lives the governments of, of rome were so so intimidated by the christians That they would throw them to the lions uh, for sport, but really they were trying to get rid of the power of God from operating out of those little people. And so it's it's good for us to understand this is our inheritance, folks. This is what God has called us to inherit in him, is that upper room mentality, the upper room attitude, the upper room, you know, come in and, and do God's business and stay focused on god's business and get it done you know what i'm saying and let him bless and let him pour out and let him fill us with with what we're we're supposed to inherit this is our inheritance folks the pentecostal power the upper room power that's what god has called us to inherit that belongs to us and we can have it it's not so far away and so far-fetched that that we would walk around and be miracle-working people just walking around every day. It's not far-fetched, and I don't think it's far from us. I don't think it's all up to God. I think it's up to us to stay ready, to stay ready for the experience, and stay ready to do the works of God when the experience comes. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to hear your word, to know your word, to be that visible person, that you need to have here to do your works and do your will we thank you lord we bless you we praise you we magnify you we lift you up jesus you're worthy to be praised and adored we honor you and we love you in jesus name amen and praise god if anybody needs prayer come on up and i'll pray for you praise god amen In Jesus' name.